The New Yorker has called it a really bad musical. Critics hailed it as bland, predictable, with songs that are undemanding and quickly forgotten. The supporting characters, a faceless blur. Prince of Central Park is up next on Flop of the Heap. Flop of the Heap's mission is not to bash, rip, pan, grill, or flambe the Broadway productions we explore. Nor are we here to put performers and other artists down. More importantly, we also recognize that part of the creative process is failure, and believe facing those failures with a critical but genial attitude should be the norm. There can be no success without failure. After all, you can't spell hopeful without flop. Oh, for f**k's sake, Ma. <laughs> Ma, I can't talk right now. I'm recording. Bye. I hope you know All I'm right. starting the episode with that, as if she called right <laughs> at the start. <laughs> That's a good idea. Ma. 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 <laughs> Leave me alone or I'm running at Central Park. Listen. I'm out of here. Some friends of mine have been like, oh, listened to uh, Let Him Eat Cake uh, and couldn't believe that you had recorded it prior to two Wednesdays ago when <laughs> the seat of democracy was attacked by our own people. Uh, I just, I, I didn't want, you brought it up, so you've brought this upon yourself. I just want to say, in choosing that musical, I told you so. I mean, you were absolutely on the mark with, with making that last minute change. We were supposed to do what, 1600? Yeah, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah, we and and we'll have to do that for the next inauguration. So let's keep shooting the shit before we get into this. What are you drinking? Uh, nothing. I had a oh. bunch of red wine last night, so I'm uh, just, uh, you know, lifted. Ah, gotcha. Um, I once again have a episode-appropriate beer. It's uh, Dogfish Head. It's called Campfire Amplifier. I figure the main character in the show is kind of camping, right? <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. When you when you build a treehouse in the woods. The, the, the woods? The, or, or um, would you call Central Park the woods? <laughs> <laughs> um, you could find uh, three bears? bits of the woods, could but no, it is, not, it is not the woods. <laughs> Don't you just love Central Park? about an abused little orphan succeed on Broadway? Well, it has happened. Sun's coming out too much. Never mind. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but this one faces long odds. Here are the facts. I'm going to put this beer down. Dude, I think um, with these two guys as our guests, maybe um, some of their friends will listen and like it and go back and listen to other episodes and pass it on. Yeah, that's the hope. So what are we trying to do here? Are we trying to keep it hush-hush until we're like, and now presenting, or are we going to like, tell a different <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of my goal, I think. So, okay, um, folks, we're Mark and I are going to do a little intro to this uh, episode, which is Prince of Central Park. Mm-hmm. It ran on Broadway what year? No, no, this is your job. You chose the, <laughs> you chose the episode. You do go... Uh, wait, sorry, the music's got to play. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for... I could have Googled 
Oh wait, I have to bring up the recording so I'm singing in the right key. No, you don't. We'll we'll fix it in post. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. <laughs> I'll change my key in post. That's gonna sound weird. Okay, we'll do it live. <laughs> Um, 1989 was mm -hmm. the year. And, um, when did it run from? Dates. Uh, it had a sad four performances. Oh. November 9th to November 11th, 89. Uh, it had a big loss. It lost two million bucks. Um, reviews were pretty, um, across the board negative. Mm -hmm. But the real story uh, which hopefully we'll get a little more detail on later in the episode when we reveal our surprise, is what happened between the initial conception and Broadway. Yeah, that, that's it's a very unusual story because we're very used to, oh, the show tries out in Boston or tries out in Philly or Paper Mill or maybe Toronto. It, like Toronto's like the weirdest place you could go, and it's still normal you know what i mean well this show started in Fl florida and key in, west uh, of all places key west and then miami yeah. right yeah which is so crazy i mean a producer has a vision sees a, a story a product and a story for a musical um and then the next thing you do is you line up the composer and the lyricist and you get a cast assembled it's such a magical process we're gonna get to hear uh, a little a little bit more about the detail of all this from two cast members that were in the show yay uh what theater did it play at john it played at the belasco theater what i don't get there on my tour what has played at the belasco um i would say milestones of the belasco are far are, are few mm -hmm. mark uh, a, uh, I would say the ra uh, Raisin in the Sun mm -hmm. was uh, the, the original was there in '59. There's a couple good revivals of things over the years. Uh, there's a play that played there one year called "Does a Tiger Wear a Necktie?" Have you ever heard of that? No. Uh, that was like how Al Pacino got his start. He oh. was super young, and then O Calcutta actually played at the Belasco for I think four or five of its years on Broadway. I didn't even realize it ran that long. Oh my god, Okakata was like the longest running show for a long time. I had no idea. And you never hear a word about it today. Have you ever seen it? No. Oh, there is a video available. It's on... No, it can't be on YouTube. There's full nudity throughout. <laughs> I think someone... I, I must have a bootleg of it. Someone sent it to me. I'll uh, I'll look for it. I'll upload it onto the Dropbox. I got it, got it. I mean, it's bonkers. I can't believe it ran as long as it did. Mm -hmm. I mean, people... I mean, every single number sketch... It's like sketch comedy. Each scene slash song in the show included some sort of nudity. Some of it necessary. Some of it not necessary. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't know. What, what year was that? Like, at least, oh, like, Calcutta a was, idea. like, 71 to 75. It closed, and then there was an immediate revival in 76, and I, I don't remember how long that one ran. Were they just, like, running off of the energy of hair's nudity? Like, were they like, well, hair gone away with it? Like, since uh, I think that probably influenced some production decisions at that time, yeah. yeah. And it sold tickets for almost a decade. Let's see here. Music... Don Sebesky. Now, he's actually somebody with some pedigree. Don Sebesky, if, if you've seen a show on Broadway in the last 20 years, you've probably heard orchestrations by Don Sebesky sometimes. Yeah, and he's won 
was it two Tony Awards? Yeah, two Tony Awards. Uh, best orchestrations for the 2000 Kiss Me Kate revival. That was the Brian Stokes Mitchell one, correct? And Marin Maisie, yeah. Yes. Um, and also for the uh, 2015 production of An American in Paris. Nominated for a Tony Award for orchestrations for Parade, which is one of my favorite musicals of all time. So I figured I had to throw that in there. Uh, he did win a drama desk for that. Oh, that's actually not surprising at all. But here's the thing. Going into writing music for Prince of Central Park, and I don't know that he actually wrote music for much of anything else in his career. It was all orchestration. He had only had one Broadway credit, and that was Peg, which was a flop that was starring Peggy Lee, but also chronicling her life. But it was also... What? I didn't even know that existed. It was... From what I'm reading, it was bad. It was like self-indulgent and just... (laughs) Add it to the list. (laughs) You know, she's starring writing in her own show about her and it was totally inaccurate throughout like how does that even happen <laughs> i don't know um so music don sebesky lyrics by gloria nissenson yeah she no broadway credits I- she uh is mostly known for children's programming on television and uh, musical writing for theater for young audiences. Uh, Allegra's Window, which I very vaguely remember from my childhood. That's the And only- I think the talent for writing uh, songs that are appealing for children is one thing, but when you're doing a show with children in it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a show for children. Yes. Uh, uh, Evan H. Rhodes, that's the writer. He also wrote the novel the book and the screenplay yeah uh give us a little bit of the plot and then we'll talk about our guests so the plot is i watched the original film because you know there's so little that i could find out about the plot online and in reviews but the very bare basic of the plot the main character of the show this young boy named uh jj his parents die i think the mother dies of uh, cancer i think the father died in vietnam And he gets adopted by this very abusive woman who's basically running like a child welfare scam. She's just mistreating kids and collecting the welfare checks. Yeah, so the show opens with her latest foster child, Mm -hmm. who I believe she handcuffs to a radiator. Yeah. Um, While she's performing a trick. Very dark. Whoa, real dark. Yeah. The biggest difference between... The original film and the musical, the musical came after the film, is that in the film, it's not just J.J., it's J.J. and his little sister are both the main characters. And what happens is they, same thing in the musical. They run away to Central Park and make it on their own. Yep, make a tree fort and this is where okay. we're going to live. Oh. So when I first, when I, someone originally uh you know we've been asking our listeners to recommend uh musicals to do. My uh-huh. friend Sandy Goldsboro who I used to be uh, on staff with at Surflight. Mm-hmm. She was like, "Do you know Prince of Central Park? Do you know anything about it?" And I was like, "I no, I never even heard of it." Quickly look it up and it's fascinating to me. And I'm like, yeah, well, let's do it. Let's do it next week. And since then, uh, my friend Michelle Sesco, uh, a Broadway costumer, uh, said that she knows two people who are in the show. I was like, oh, are you friends with them? Oh. She's like, yeah, I can, reach, I can reach out. Oh, what a fun random happenstance. 
Anyway, the, the basic story, kid runs away to Central Park. He's going to live there now outside of, you know, the foster care system. On his own, like Peter Pan and Lost Boys style in the park. Yeah. And he basically starts a correspondence via writing messages out on a park bench with this, I guess, kind of Jewish older woman Ooh. whose husband has left her for a younger Recent woman. Recent divorcee character Yenta. Yes. Um, okay. into It's the 80s, super into aerobics, um, that kind of Everyone character. loves Joanne Worley. Yes, Joanne Worley played the role on Broadway. She was, like, uh, looking for work, I imagine, after all of her, like, the whole country knew who she was mm-hmm. after the 60s and 70s. With um, so, laughing, yeah. And she's a tremendous talent. Um, did you know she came <laughs> during um, the dark times at Surflight, she came to do the female odd couple with Cindy Williams? You mentioned that to me. Did you get to see it or did you just know it happened? Um, I was working all the time. I didn't actually see the show. Oh, you I were saw next door. Were, yeah, yeah, I saw a few rehearsals and I popped in and out, but no, I, she did appear <laughs> at a... Um, a party uh, she like you know the first day that the cast for the next show arrives in town you have a little get together with wine and cheese and whatnot you know yeah joanne worley makes her grand appearance with the citizens of beach haven and she has like a string of pearls around her neck and like swung them around like a hula hoop (laughs) like as she entered the room it was Perfect, and I didn't really need to meet her after that. I was like, all right, well, welcome to town. <laughs> well, for anyone who doesn't know who she is, uh, at the time of the show, she was most known for Laughing, which, if you don't know what that is, was a sketch comedy show in the 60s that, you know, produced Goldie Hawn and Lily Tomlin. So. And it was hugely popular. Yes. But what most of our listeners do know her from, even though they probably don't know it, is that she played the armoire in Beauty and the Beast. Oh, uh, yes. In the, the movie. Um, so that's what, you, you know, people might know her from. Um, so he starts his correspondence with her, and then there's some kids who are in a gang. They're, you know, drug-pushing, drug-selling. Um, the most 80s gang you've ever seen. It's so unrealistic. They're, you know, every gender and ethnicity, you know, I think one of the reviews said that they looked like the Model UN. Um, okay, so my first instinct is uh, written not from any of those perspectives, but rather from someone's idea of those perspectives. Yes, and there's some fantastic reviews that uh, put that in a very scathing and comical I see. Uh, I see. way. Uh, we got to talk about this producer. All right, let's talk uh, for a moment about the producers. The original concept was that uh, a theater in Key West uh, run by Jan McCart was a producer, theater creator. It was uh, fairly successful as far as, um, you know, it was reviewed well. Then another producer named Abe Hirschfeld Mm -hmm. brought it to Miami Beach at a much larger venue where it was expanded. Yes. It was then changed again and brought to Broadway. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Abe Hirschfeld, uh, so he made his career, made most of his money as the open-air parking garage king of New York. His his catchphrase was something along the lines of, well, cars don't catch a cold. 
<laughs> hey, he saved himself money. He 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 provided a service to you. He's very proud. Well, then, when you make enough money and you invest in enough buildings and own enough hotels, you have like money laying around. Yeah. And if you go to the theater, you're like, I'll produce some theater. Yeah. It, it actually it happened all the time. A lot of major producers started are just as... people that had money that were like, I believe in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. He also uh, claimed to have, you know, that little magnetic strip that keeps your refrigerator door closed? I do. He claims to have invented that at the age of 15, <laughs> but he never patented no. it. No. He's full of shit. Um, uh. He also <laughs> in, he, he invented the polyester crossword puzzle tie. He's an entrepreneur. A wacky entrepreneur. A character. Yeah. Also, he had multiple unsuccessful political campaigns. In 87, he pushed for a campaign to get Donald Trump to run for president. 87. <laughs> yeah. Um, no surprise. Please don't sue us for this. No surprise. His son, Eli, is a good friend of Trump's. If you remember back at the beginning of Trump's presidency, the Chicago Tribune had this really shitty sketch that Trump did of one of his buildings and sold for $16,000. Eli's the one who bought it. No surprise, about a year, two years later, Trump gave him a position. I mean, that's that's it. You make deals. Yeah. At one point, 1993, back to Abe, he becomes the court-appointed manager of the New York Post, which he only had it for two weeks. And in those two weeks, he almost sunk the paper by firing the head editor. Uh, that led to a mutiny from the staff who at one point devoted every bit of space on the paper to besmirching Hirschfeld. Wow. And he loved the attention. He actually called those editions a collector's item. 1999, he escapes conviction for tax fraud because the jury's deadlocked. He then offers each juror $2,500 as a reward. Wow. Yeah. So been through some shady dealings in the past. Oh, well, it's worse. In 2000, he was sentenced to three years in prison for hiring a hitman to kill his business partner, who he had like, um, oh. I don't know what to call that, a winner-take-all sort of agreement with. And upon being released from prison, he runs against Chuck Schumer for Senate. Wait a minute. It, After he spent oh, two yeah. years in jail yep. for yep. a criminal solicitation? Yep. Of murder. Oh, um, my God. Runs against Chuck Schumer and goes by the name Honest Abe. Wow. What a picture you have painted. <laughs> well, folks, it's time for our big reveal. Mark and I have two original cast members of Prince of Central Park with us today to talk about their experiences in the show. Anthony Galdi played Elmo, the de facto leader of the roller skating gang in Prince of Central Park. Tony had made his Broadway debut two years earlier in Starlight Express. He was in the American premiere of The Fix, the original Broadway cast of The Civil War, and has played basically every track in Wicked at some point or another during his tenure with the Broadway company. Tony Galdi, welcome to Flop of the Heap. Hey, how are you doing? Do you prefer Anthony or Tony? You can call me Tony. I I was Anthony when I was fancy actor guy, but now I'm simply Tony. Now you're cool, Tony. Yeah. Also with us today is Richard Blake, who played JJ, the troubled runaway, becoming the youngest performer to have his name above the title of a Broadway show. Richard made his Broadway debut in Teddy and Alice with Len Cariou, followed quickly by Macbeth with 
followed quickly by Macbeth with Christopher Plummer, but you might know him as the original Glenn Gulia in The Wedding Singer and the original Warner in Legally Blonde. Richard Blake, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Nice to be here. Do I have to say Richard H. Blake every time? Richard, Rich, what do you like? Uh, you can call me the Prince. No, oh, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, uh, Richard. Richard's fine. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Well, first of all, uh, I'd like to know, how old were each of you when you did Prince? What year was it? <laughs> uh, 89. Uh, I was, well, when we got to Broadway, I was 14. But when we started, I think I was 12. Okay. Yeah, and I was probably, when we started, I was probably 19, something like that. Yeah. Um, how, when, when, how, when was the last time you guys saw each other? Oh, gosh, well, like nine years ago. Yeah. Well, yeah, we did. Uh, we did Wicked together. Actually, uh, when I came in, he had obviously uh, been there for a hundred years at that point. When I came in to take over for Fierro, and so we worked together on Wicked. That was probably the last time I think we saw each other because then yeah. I went and did I don't know Jersey Boys or something, and then mm-hmm. you you went and started your your school and theater company. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that '89 wasn't the last time you saw each other then. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, no. We we. We lived together for for years too. Oh, really? uh, oh. Way, way back, way back in the day, we were like roommates. <laughs> yeah, okay. we, we we stayed in touch for for many many years. So good things did come out of the show. Yeah. Oh yeah, and we have st- like stories. The stories alone. Like, I mean, yeah. It's it was so, such, it was such a bizarre adventure that <laughs> some of it you like you can't even make it up. It's just so outrageous. So excited to hear those things now let me let me am i correct were you both in the show from key west to finish yes start to finish yes how did how how did jan mcgart find you um i auditioned i think i just just auditioned yeah same i was doing macbeth at the time and they asked me to come in and that was pretty much it i met with jan and evan Rhodes, the the writer, and then Bob uh, Bob Dinoff, the director, and and that was I think I think I only had like one audition, which was kind of crazy for something like this. Yeah, mine, uh, mine was really quick too. Was yeah, because like- at that point it was just to go and do the show down in Key West. I mean, obviously everybody was like, "Oh, we're going to Broadway," but every show says that. Yeah. So I think you know I think it was all kind of Jan was very like, "Let's get this up and running," and I think it was mm-hmm. just a very quick process. So uh, tell us a little bit about how the show changed from its initial formation through when uh, Abe picked it up and brought it to New York. H- how did the show change very much? Well, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> For the better or <laughs> it was it was interesting because I, and this is my my recollection um but and, or my what I think my experience was. <laughs> so from Key West, I mean, there were definitely things that were needed to be, you know, figured out, and and it and it kind of it changed a bit in Key West, and then it changed a little bit more dramatically when we went to Miami. But then it got, uh, we went from a very I remember costuming the the gang. It was like a pile of stuff from an army surplus store that they dumped on the floor, and we just <laughs> with like find your own costume. What speaks to you? No way. That's like for real though. He's not like that's not like a like a like a euphemism like or a metaphor. Like he's saying like like they really they really just like dump stuff and we're like, hey, pick what you think you'd wear. Yeah. Oh my god! I remember Jeff. I think his name was Jeff. 
he was sitting at a dressing table and he's like, I'm shaving my head. And then he's <laughs> shaving his head. And I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm wearing this leather glove. Just one. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bizarre, but it was really groovy because I felt like we were all kind of finding. So there was, there was an, that part was really cool. And then there was a big shift that happened when we went from, when we went to New York. Um, well, they, they, I mean, they basically decided that they needed a name director. Uh, you know, Abe came on as a producer. Abe Hirschfeld came on as a producer, which mm-hmm. which changed which changed a lot of things. We'll get into that in a in a little bit. Um, but but I think the biggest change was they felt like okay, we need a name director because uh, Bob Bogdanoff was the resident director for Jan's uh, Dinner Theater down in in Boca Raton. So you know, they wanted a Broadway Tony winner, so they went and got Tony Tanner. Who had directed Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcode, mm-hmm. and what's the best way to describe what how that affected the show, Ant? <laughs> well, that coupled with the fact that um, when Abe entered the picture, it was like he wanted he wanted all these changes. So it was like I mean, I feel like seventy five percent of the script, twelve new songs. I mean, it was just like. Yeah, a total gut of what anything we had built up to um, was it. Was it moving in a direction that seemed more commercially viable? The choices that were being made. No, no, no. Well, well, when we were like Miami, um, it felt a more like potentially authentic. Okay, I think the story at its core is was tricky, anyway, but. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was more authentic. And then when when new director, new choreographer, new, like everything was flipped upside down. And that's when Nanette Fabre said, I'm not going to New York. And then... I and see. I when Now, we were wondering why the story of her involvement had ended. It was her decision because the show yeah. was changing too much? No, because she knew that it wasn't ready to go ah, into New York. I see. Oh. Wow. And she was right. <laughs> I mean, I had read, I had read that Jan had thought about putting it in. I mean, even though it wasn't ready when it did come out, they they she wanted it the season before just because that was probably the floppiest season in Broadway history. That was Carrie. That was Chu Chem. That was uh, I think Star might say <laughs> the floppiest too. season of all. Yeah, I I <laughs> the mean, dark it, dark winter. It's it, hard it, to know because Jan was always like daily was like we're going to Broadway, you know. Yeah. It might have I, look. It might have given it another two weeks if we did, I, but I I can't imagine can't imagine much more at that point. Yeah, because the the damage really happened going from Miami into New York. The way that we did with so many changes, not only the you know creative team, but um, just like script and 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 then it turned into a very different thing. So I mean, just costuming alone for me and for the gang and everything. I mean, my, I ended up looking like I was wearing Garanimals. I had like these <laughs> matching like things and I had this quaffed hair, flat top thing. And so and, overly designed as opposed to the authentic thing they were going for in the beginning, maybe with having yeah. you kind of pick your own. Look. Uh, they were, they, they, Tony Tanner, because Anthony did, uh, Tony did uh, Starlight Express. And so did uh, one or two of the other people who were in the gang. Mm-hmm decided that the gang would come in on roller skates at one point like that should give you an idea of like, i was curious which which came first the, the chicken or the know, egg it was in the show before no that that was all broadway that none of that was there 
yeah. previously. Like Tony was into like, does anyone juggle? Does anyone work, walk on stilts? Like Tony Tanner, the director was like, wow. what, what tricks do you got? What tricks do you got? <laughs> I remember that ent- that entrance into the roller skating thing. I remember just standing on the in the wings, getting ready to roll out and just every night, all four of the nights, just feeling like, this is the stupidest freaking thing I am I have ever done on a stage, and here I go. Can we just go back to to just when he said every night, all four nights? <laughs> <laughs> we 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 glazed over that far too quickly. That that, that like, it was actually three. Yeah, I, actually, it was. It was only three. Matinee, plus a matinee. So so four, it was four shows. <laughs> four 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 shows, but only three nights. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then coming out and, you know, I jump up on the skate up onto this bench and flip off the end. And, and then someone would say something about why we have roller skates. And we were like, we stole them from those people over there. Whatever. <laughs> awful. So your leading lady, the, the, the Margie Miller role, it switched hands. What? Three times at some point Jan stepped in. Is that, did I read that correctly? Did that affect the cast? Like, uh, any fun stories about those changeovers or how much did it hurt the product? Um, well, okay. So we had some of the most amazing leading ladies. Well, I will say that we, you know, Nanette Febre was amazing. Amazing. We, we had the, the luxury of going down. We'll start at the very beginning. We had the luxury of going down to Florida a couple of weeks early, just Anthony, uh, Nanette Febre and myself and starting our rehearsal process kind of a couple of weeks or whatever early before we went down to Key West and started with the rest of the cast and really got to to know Nanette and know her story and her work ethic and holy cow I mean what an amazing amazing woman um and gift to the performing arts she was so uh Nanette Fabre I mean People know her from the Sid Caesar Comedy Hour. Uh, she was on the Carol Burnett Show a ton. One day at a time. Though. One day at a time. Um, I know. I know her from the Bandwagon with Fred Astaire. Oh my God, the triplets number. Jack Buchanan, Fred Astaire, and her. That if you have never seen it, she would tell the story about how they did that whole number like in one shot over and over again on their knees. That's they don't do that anymore. You, people don't do that stuff anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's like superhuman. It, it was. So it was It was really sad when we lost her. And so when we got to New York, they told us that she wouldn't be joining us and um, Gloria DeHaven would be taking over. Uh, and we know her mostly as her being an MGM contract player. She was in uh, Summer Stock with Judy Garland. Um, and so now there's some... We picked up with her having a little bit of an issue. Was she injured? No, she's... Uh- yeah, she was not injured. She, <laughs> the, the producer was, it was, can I tell the story? Sure. Yeah. Like, it, it was, it was all Abe. So, I mean, he's dead. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, so she was, we were in rehearsals and I guess he made advances and she was not responding to it. Oh boy. And he owned the, what, Daily News? What did he own? Well, he owned the Kinney parking lots, and then he owned one of the n- news publications. Yeah because, yeah, because I remember him. Uh, I remember he fired, when he bought the newspaper, he fired the whole cleaning staff. And there was, on the news, there was one lady, and she was like, they're like, it's 150,000 square feet or whatever. And she was the only cleaning lady left. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. 
so that happened with Gloria. And then it turned into him. Basically, the word out there was that she was coming to rehearsals intoxicated. And that was there was- any truth to that? No, 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 not at all. And they tried to get us to like, not testify because it wasn't it wasn't court but i guess yes testify in front of like equity or whatever that she had been coming and smelled like vodka and they were like tell them that you smell it on her breath and i'm like but i don't i don't even know what vodka god i was like 14 i was like i don't even know what vodka smells like that's a total lie that's a total lie by the way uh (laughs) but but that's what I was saying. Um, so it turned into kind of page six sort of situation that was. That's so that's that's slimy. Yeah. But yeah. given the other information that we know about Mr. Hirschfeld, maybe not too surprising. Yeah, we we laid a lot on about him earlier when we were talking. Uh, that, that's the least. That's the least of uh, his his atrocities. Yeah, it was crazy. So then we after. Um, Gloria. So we kind of had to have Gloria's back. I mean, I remember in rehearsal when she was, when all this stuff was hitting the fan and I remember being outside, us being outside and her, her crying. And she's like, at the time she was like 65, had this body of work, you know, behind her and, and she's crying and going, why is, why is this happening? Why are they? And it was just high drama. So, yeah. the, so then after she, they sorted it out and I, I think she ended up doing pretty well. I think she got bought out of her contract or something. I think something. She probably made a lot more than the rest of us did actually. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And then we had to go. So we're in rehearsals and Richard and I have to start auditioning all of these people. Mm-hmm. So we're, we have like, oh, Phyllis Diller. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Oh, Phyllis. You are kidding. I love oh, it. Oh no. She came in. <laughs> I love him. Um, she came in and I don't know how old she was, maybe 90. I don't know. But <laughs> she could bear I mean, she was just kind of shuffling in. And I had a I mean, I had this whole thing where I had to grab her and like punch her and knock Ooh. her to the ground. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, there's no way. I will kill her. I, I won't. This is not gonna work. Who else did we who else? I can't remember who else came in. <sighs> Oh God, I'm the worst at this. I'm the worst in general about memory because I, like I, I did I did too many drugs after this show, so my I can't. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, the cast was actually galvanized. I mean, it was a, it yeah. was a great group of people, and we just we knew what was happening. You know, it's that thing where you're like, I know that this is shit. I know it. We all know it. Let's just do our Still best. Got to go to work, <laughs> right? To polish this turd. And- <laughs> Wait, did you have to audition? I mean, work with Joanne? No. Yeah, you did. Yeah, did yeah, you yeah. Go to California? No, I didn't. I didn't go. Did I fly out there? I can't remember if I flew out there. I because she was doing Mame at the time. Yeah, I think she might have come in like on a day off or something. I don't feel like I went. Maybe yeah, I did. No, I don't remember either. But I, I definitely remember meeting her and doing with her before she got it. And then she came back to L.A. because she had to finish her run of Mame. And so they sent the associate dance person or something, dance guy, I don't remember who they sent out there, to start teaching her the show. And then she came to New York. And how long was she with us before we started previews? Like Not long. like Two weeks or a week or something. Yeah, I think she was only with us for like a week before wow. we went into previews. Yeah. But she was amazing. I mean, she. I, I. I think we. We both, or everyone in the cast, learned so much about how to deal. The show also had a very large technical element because it was on these turntables, and it was this ginormous tree in the middle of the stage. And then, because the whole show is about me, sort of building this 
treehouse in Central Park that I'm going to live in because I run away from the foster home. And right. that's how I get mixed up with the you know gang in the park and the old lady who sat on the bench underneath the tree. So there was there was this tree that had a turn and all. This, and so there's always technical difficulties. And I learned so much how to deal with technical difficulties from Joanne. <laughs> not that not that I would do it in the way she does, because she had this character from laughing and everyone knew her. So in people kind of came to see her do her thing. So when when something would happen, she would just break the fourth wall and do her ah! and you yeah. know like and make people laugh and but I learned how to keep things going and keep the show going and not just deflate the moment cuz honestly the audience half the time enjoys those moments because it's they're getting to see something that yeah. I was there the night that this happened. You know, I mean and then I yeah. learned, you know, mm-hmm. when doing wicked and glinda stuck up in the ball and she can't get down and you, you learn like you're like oh well let's make it happen guys yeah. nan was the same way though we learned yeah. from her she was she was such a pro but so much fun and she would find subtle ways to try to like get us on stage or, oh. like she was so awesome so working with i always say that 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 ilk of performer i'm so glad that we got to work with them and i in my life i had gotten to work with a lot of people of that generation and and their work ethic was i mean unbelievable i really love hearing that and and yeah it's it's so different now <laughs> you know what i mean it's just it's it's those throwbacks to to that generation and the people who who put in that time and put effort it didn't matter how big they were they were they were always showing up for the work always which was so impressive yeah it was inspiring and i think it really taught us that you know the places that we were at in our lives i think it really impacted us in the way that we moved forward you know in in our careers but exactly i saw how hard they worked and i was like i will never work that hard ever You know, I had to say when I when I first discovered uh, the history of this particular show, I, I I did think that all signs to musicalizing it did kind of make sense. I mean, the the book is touching, and the film ad- adaptation was pretty popular. I, I imagine you may not have been thinking it at the time, but with perspective now, how do you think they missed the mark with musicalizing the story? Um, I, I mean, I, I had been thinking, I mean, I wonder, knowing the origin of the show, would it have been better received if it had stayed sort of a regional show with a youth focus? Do you think bringing it to, your, to New York was a mistake? I think it was for a few reasons. First of all, I think that we had the wrong director. By the time we came into New York, we had the wrong director and producer. You know, it's things from the head. And so the energy, you know, it was like karmically there was a thing. Yes. Um, and I do think that if we had stayed the course, if we had stayed out and continued to work it, I think it, we, we could have done something. But it was also when we were doing it, it was also at the time of that, the New York Central Park gang that, you know, that with the lady and all of that was so topical. And so this little polished little yuppie gang coming, it was just weird timing too. Yeah. I- Everything kind of went against it, to be honest with you. When they say things have to align, you know, all the stars have to align to make something work. All the stars can align to make something not work, too. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I agree. Like, it's, I think it worked as a musical, or or could have, I should say it didn't work, but could have worked as a musical. And I, I don't know if I remember all of it really correctly, but 
I think the music was actually pretty good. Like, I, I don't think the music was all that bad. Um, yeah, I don't think so either. So I, I think it, I just think they, the vision wasn't really there. And, and you, like, like, you know, Tony said, the, the director had a lot to do with it. And, you know, the, the producer was like, I want my granddaughter in the show. How do I put my granddaughter in the oh, show? Oh, I think, boy. like, like it was, it was just the guy, he wasn't a, he didn't know what he was. No one knew what they were doing. <laughs> No, it was yeah, it was it was unfortunate because yeah, I think that there was pieces of us, especially for Richard and myself, you know, because we were we were the only two that went on the whole journey as far as the cast, and so it was it was it's such a torturous thing to to watch it get kind of ripped apart. But I think also the the fact that it was expedited, I think the book suffered because I think they started to try to hurry up and cram this thing together and, you know, make it into something that, so it wasn't organic. It was really being forced. Now, were they, were they afraid of losing uh, you, Richard, that you were going to grow up and not be cute or was the, was that, did that play any role? Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure it did. They didn't let me know, but I mean, I, <laughs> I, 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 I was probably thinking it. I was probably like, how much longer can I play skate? I mean, that said, I didn't end up growing till I was like 16 for like another two years after that. <laughs> like I, I was like, I was 4'11 and I was, I was like four foot 11 when I was 16. I was like, oh, I guess I'm just going to be really short. Uh, and then I grew and now I'm six foot one. So yeah. So I, I, I didn't, I didn't think about it. So I don't know. Anthony might know. They might've told him. They might've been like. No, it was a conversation because it was more about your voice, you know, what's going to happen because oh yeah, is his voice going to start changing? And I mean, I don't, I think that the real catalyst for us, hurry up and go to New York and do this thing was Abe. Abe just got a bee in his bonnet or a stick in his ass or I don't know, whatever. <laughs> and he just wanted to make it happen. So, and I think then Jan and the other people just got sucked into this whirlwind of, um, and I think that was part of Nan's issue too, is that, um, I think she knew that that was not that energy was not the right energy to be, you know, the lead producer. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do know that. So I, when we were down in Miami, the uh, people from Disney came and saw the show and even, you know, the, the show was what it was. They asked me to come to Orlando and I met with Michael Eisner and they wanted me to do the Mickey Mouse Club. Um, so I, I kind of had to decide if I was going to do the Mickey Mouse Club, which, you know, they were offering this really great contract. And then we told Princess Central Park about that. We were like, hey, is this happening or is this not happening? And I don't know if that might have had a, a, you know, a thing. And they were like, all right, so that if that could have sped it up at all, because they were like, mm -hmm. oh, we want to make it happen. But I don't know if I was that important to the show, to be honest with you. But, you know, I had to make a decision which one I was going to do. And when they said, well, we're, the show, all right, we're, the show's going to Broadway. I, my dad was like, all right, which one do you want to do? And I was like, I want to do the Princess Central Park. I went to the Broadway show. And he was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then they replaced me uh, in the Mickey Mouse Club with Ryan Gosling. So there's that. So, you know, hey. M missed opportunities again. <laughs> he owes you. I mean, love <laughs> please let him know that he owes Richard Blake. <laughs> <laughs> If he if he has any like flop movies that you guys are going to talk to him about, uh, <laughs> yeah. just just bring that up, will you? Thanks. Absolutely. Uh, now going back to the the um, the music, since you said you kind of actually liked it, uh, usually with most shows we cover, I'm able to find a score or a bootleg or a, at least a demo or something. Uh, this turned up nothing. Do you have any favorite songs or any favorite lyrics, whether they be memorable or good or 
bad. We, I mean, we share bad lyrics all the time, but you know, sometimes they're great. Do you have any that uh, particularly stick out to you? Listen, I think it, it, if anyone had great lyrics in this show, it would have been the gang leader. Tony, I mean, I heard the word shit was thrown around a lot in this show. Really? I don't remember that. Oh, it, <laughs> it wasn't even shit. It was, the word was crap. Oh, yeah, crap. That's crap. Oh, there was, a, there was like a whole song called crap. Oh, yeah. Crap. No, 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 wait, no, for real. There was a really a song called crap. Oh, shit. And because she's like all down. Her husband, Joanne's character, her husband just left her for a younger woman. And she's all down on her luck. And she keeps coming to this bench every single day. And that's finally, and she's always complaining about it and, uh, you know, talking to her daughter and stuff like that. And I end up befriending her. And I'm like, you got, you know, we end up meeting. And I'm like, you look through the world through crap colored glasses. <laughs> and, and so it was all these words that rhyme with crap. And so I would like set it up and I'd be like, and that's, and she'd be like, crap. And I'd be like, no, snap. You know, like, <laughs> okay, now when I tell this story and I just said that the music was really good, no, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say the lyrics were good. <laughs> oh. I found, I remember a couple of the reviewers were talking about a number in a department store with dancing mannequins. What was that yeah. about? It was, yeah, it was called Red. Red, I'm seeing red. I want to come on like a fire and object of desire in terms of somebody's head. Yeah. I'm yeah. seeing red. And was- there was, and there was this red fabric would would f- f- fall out of the ceiling and she would walk around and the mannequins would come to life. And, and so she was wrapping this fabric around her and she was talking about how pissed off she was. And then she would go, go off stage and like come back on like a quick change thing. And she was all in this fancy red outfit and the audience would clap. That was, I imagine, a song added for Broadway, yes? I, yes, it was. Yes, it was. It was. Yes. Uh, another song that was talked about a lot was uh, Zap. Crap turned into zap, right? Oh. Like, yeah, like 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 crap was yes. It, it like that's what we turned it. That's what we turned the crap into. We turned crap into zap. Right. <laughs> oh, that's what oh we do. lord! <laughs> it's like it's like lemonade out of lemons, guys. Come on. Yeah. Hey, what was that song that that Joanne did? Um, that oh, that ballad. Oh, that was actually like that got people. That's a be- that's a beautiful song. You yeah, can- that, that really yeah. got people. Those are better lyrics. You can guard your feelings and you can hide your heart. That way you'll be sure no one can break it. You can be a loner and never never let love start. Life can be exactly what you make it. But when you choose to love somebody, go and love somebody, even if it's for a little while. April doesn't last too long, but even when you're gone, remembering can make your smile. I mean, it was just, it was. Oh, I love it. Do you have the score in front of you? No. I don't, I don't even remember my lyrics. Like. (laughs) But that song just stayed with me. But yeah, and I don't remember shit. I, mean, I don't remember. What's I remember good evening. And then. Oh, yeah. I was like, like on a bridge in Central Park. Everybody would just, all the people in Central Park would walk by each other and be like, good evening. Because <laughs> that's oh, what yes. we do. <laughs> Which has never occurred. Right. And then the ballet dancer would dance about on her point shoes. Any more stories about uh, your producer, Mr. Hirschfeld? Oh, yes. Well, first of all, let's go to opening night at Tavern on the Green, yeah. right? Because the show, I in this show, I steal all my food from Tavern on the Green. So, of course, we have dinner party at Tavern on the Green. Yes. And we get in there. We go into this party. And Anthony and, and I are like, we got to get out of here. <laughs> um, <laughs> we do. It's like, it, 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 we, I think we wanted to leave before the reviews came in. We wanted to get them ourselves and, like, read them. Because we were, I think, a little worried. But we, we come walking out. And we're leaving. And Abe Hirschfeld comes, like, running in. And as he comes running in with the papers in his hand, he 
is yelling, we're a hit, we're a hit. Now, in con- just now, let me just let me just explain something to you. The first line of Frank Rich's review in the New York Times goes: "The Prince of Central Park, a new musical at the Belasco, is a numbing evening of such guileless amateurism <laughs> oh that it will probably have a future as a Harvard Business School case study, whatever its fate in the annals of drama." Even modest Broadway shows like this cost more money than the gross national product of some third world nations. <laughs> Frank Rich is a bitch. Wait, and then and then he goes on. He talks, and then he talks, and he goes. He goes. Since JJ and uh, Margie must meet cute through chalk messages left on a park bench in Act One, it's all exposition. In Act Two, JJ and Margie bravely overcome outmoded legal obstacles and moral <laughs> attitudes to get married. They adopt five children, two of whom become the first sibling astronauts, and together head a successful manned space mission to Pluto. Actually, I'm lying. Something else entirely happens in Act Two, but I assure you that my version is more interesting. It, it makes you wonder. <laughs> if something else opened that night on Broadway and Abe read the wrong review. <laughs> what? Yeah, no. Did he just walk in with the papers? Did he read it and not get it? No, because the headline was, the city is sweet and the muggers are merry. That was <laughs> I mean, we have that today. People just read headlines. It's, it's always going to be a thing. I think, didn't Joanne leave with us too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, We so the three principal roles all left the building before... The party was over and before anyone could read the reviews, <laughs> we went to the hotel and we were there and, and we commiserated and read and chuckled. And then I remember watching one newscast and uh, he showed the, you know, the, uh, the gang dancing and singing and all that sort of thing. And, you know, and then the evil gang led by um, Elmo, the drug infested gang comes to, and they're showing us singing and dancing. And then he goes, Ooh. Ooh, scary. <laughs> scary. <laughs> we just sat there, we're like, shit, man, this is really not good. Yeah, so that was a Thursday, and then cut to Saturday night. We did our show, and then we were off. We were supposed to be off Sunday and Monday and come back Tuesday. Now, okay, I'm going to interrupt. When when did Abe uh, call you all in to ask you if you'd work for Pay Cut? Oh, my God, I love that you know that. Yeah, that was on a... Um, that was on well Tuesday. No, no, that was I think Monday. Well, no, because I I went did went somewhere and I taught I called Joanne on Tuesday to say when is the car gonna pick up us and whatever, and she said we have to be out of the theater by five, and I was like what? Oh, and she said we closed. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were the only. So we went into his office, though, first. When was that? Because we went into his office before it closed, and he was like, it was just Joanne, Anthony, and I, and we were in there, and, and he was like, okay, well, you guys have to take pay cuts. The entire cast is going to have to take pay cuts. And Anthony, <laughs> I think you were the one who said, how are we supposed to pay our bills? If we... And he was, like, he was like, you can get a second job. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm willing to take one for the team and like, I, I, I whatever. I said, first of all, the, the, the IATSE guys are never working for free. So don't even, <laughs> yeah, like never, that, it's not done. Right. And so I said, um, yeah, but I just, you know, I have to like feed myself and I have to pay my bills and whatnot. Well, can't and you go sling cheesecake at juniors or something? Literally said you could get a, get a job waiting tables between shows. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. I started to stand up and Joanne was sitting to my right and she grabbed my leg. Oh. And sat like just sit down. Don't even engage. Just, <laughs> right. 
so yeah. So we left, and and then I guess the show they decided that since no one, they couldn't do it with pay cuts, that they would just close the show. But yeah, no one told us. So like he said, he called and was like, "Hey, when is the car picking us up?" And and she was like, "We have to be out. The show's closing." So we were the only ones because of the car actually that knew the show was closing. The rest of the cast showed up for half hour to a locked theater. That's ridiculous. When you when you would walk out the stage door uh, at night, what was what was Times Square like in 1989? Awesome. Yeah, yeah it was. It smelled like pee. There were a lot of triple <laughs> X theaters and and all of the. You could buy anything that you needed between. I'm 42nd between Times Square and Eighth Avenue. Was just yeah. you could get you could get throwing stars. Yeah, you could get an uh, oriental rug. You could get uh, a, a hooker. You yeah. could get. Uh, a glass bong, it, anything you anything you might need for 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 a Friday night. What a magical time! If only all, all the kids bust in from Jersey to see Broadway shows today knew. <laughs> if they if they only knew, they had no idea. Yeah, we used to when when I did my first Broadway show, uh, we stayed at the which was the Milford Plaza at the time. I don't know, actually, I forget what it's called now, but it's on Eighth Avenue between Forty fourth and 45th and this was back in 1986 or 87 like that and i remember i was there with my dad staying in the hotel and we would look out the window and watch the hookers down in the corner and i remember we would just like like see who was popular and one night there was this one girl who was like getting no action Aww. no one was showing her any love and i asked my dad to go down and give her some money because i was afraid she wasn't going to be able to eat and um he said no so oh, well that's sweet it's caring because you have empathy no oh, like 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 watching the ducks on the lake yeah my my son and i we don't have that <laughs> Weird. well uh t- towards the end of each of the episodes that we've done mark and i have a, a little sequence at the end called can the show work today uh do you think there's any reason that anyone should dig up this show dust it off and maybe breathe some new life into it I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a bad story. I mean, I. I don't. I think it need would need to be just reimagined, mm-hmm. like soup to nut. I mean, it certainly has a lot of messages because it's you know about abuse. Uh, you know, I, I, the whole thing starts off with me getting beaten up in the foster home, and that's why I leave. And I've been pushed from foster home to foster home to foster home, and and then you know, obviously the drug situation. I mean, there's a lot of educational lessons that could be done. But it, it it is a good story. It just has to be reimagined and would have to be done differently, obviously. That, that I don't know. I think there's not a way you can make it family friendly. I think you have it would have to be designed to be really authentic and really and I think that's what happened is that they tried to kind of squeak it up to make it something that it couldn't be. Yeah. It's not a flashy show, and they tried to make it a flashy musical. They tried to make it like you know that um, song, like it's a musical from the producers. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of like that's kind of like what they were thinking. They're like, oh, we need this. We need it's. I mean, it's a musical. It's got to be this. And you know, we've learned now. I think through the shows that are really uh, groundbreaking these days that there's no formula. You just got to kind of be true to the to the story and true to the piece. And if you yes. kind of find some, mm. find some authenticity in it, then, then you might have, you might, you know, yes. it, it, it's still, it's still theater. So, you know, very few things, very few things work. You have to be sincere. I mean, the audience is going to smell it. If you are, if you are throwing things in just to impress them, they, they know it, they see it. Oh yeah. And th- this show, they were, they were always, he's not kidding. Stilts, juggling, 
roller skating. He's not even kidding. There were everything you could possibly do. It was it was literally a number with a ballerina does toe like goes on point in the middle of 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 the park for no reason. And and then the cops, (laughs) then the cops go into a big hoofer section. Yeah, like the two cops, beat cops who are walking through, break it down and have a big tap section. Like it was Adrian Bailey and um and Ruthie Ruthie Gashel, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so it was just you know. It seems a little patronizing. It, yeah. It was. God, <laughs> you know, <laughs> didn't we just a few minutes ago talk about how good the music was and how we... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thank, thank you for this walk down memory lane. <laughs> <laughs> you know, got us young and dumb. And- yeah. I mean, it was a different time. I mean, people ask me about, you know, being a kid and then working with children now, like doing Matilda or, or Bronx Tale with, you know, having the kids that play my son. I'm like, it's so different. They're like, my experience as a child, like there were no wranglers. There were, there were no like rules. We did the same amount of rehearsal. There was no protection. You know, uh, you did all eight shows and you had eight hours of rehearsal, just like everybody else. And you had to figure out school around that, but nobody was also making sure that I mean, fortunately, I never really had anything bad happen, but no one was really protecting, you know, the young people in this business back then. So that's it's 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 so much better now. It's so much safer, I think now. I mean, you did get your name above the title. I mean, that is a trait. Now, do you still hold that title for having? Uh, I do. Yeah, I do no. actually. Yeah, I, uh, someone because someone interviewed me recently, and I was I actually asked that question, and they were like, "Yeah, no, we looked it up." But you, you, look, you know, yes, I got my name above the title, but. I, I, I think I hope I can speak for Anthony here. Maybe I can't, but I, I'm going to anyway. Um, <laughs> no, but these, you know, flops, nothing's changed. Um, uh, it's having a, a show like this, having a flop like this, I actually think in a weird way is, is a well-rounded career because I think we've learned an immense amount from having a flop as I mean I learned more from the flop I think than some of the successes uh it's just like you know in anything you know you learn from your failures more than your successes uh and so I learned how to deal with a lot of things I learned the components and and what works what doesn't and what we need so I don't know I yes it was tragic and it was heartbreaking at the time but we all came out okay and we're all you know still here um and I think that it's an experience that I learned so much from that I'm actually grateful for. That's a really great thing to say because as our, as our motto goes, Mark, uh, um, what did I say? there can be no success without failure and you can't spell hopeful without flop. Yeah. We really <laughs> want to make, sh- we want to make sure that people, you know, as much as we, we get some, you know, schadenfreude out of this show and, you know, get to revisit some, you know, hilarious uh, moments, hilarious moments, you know, Part of it, uh, a lot of it, we hope, is to uh, normalize failure as part of the creative process. It's what happens. And part of life. It is 100%. No, that, that's what's so cool about working with young people. You know, I have a performing arts studio now, so um, I get to kind of posit this wisdom with them. You know, it can't be about the it, your, your work and your commitment to your craft can't be about what that success at the end looks like. It has to be about you committing and your work ethic and pushing through and, and being, you know, authentic with your work. And then 
whatever happens, happens. And I'm able to reference this show and, you know, talk about what that felt like after all of our time out of town and then coming into New York. And then, and it is, I think it's, it's powerful for, for young people to realize, you know, you don't define yourself by that. You define yourself by your commitment and your work ethic and your, and all that kind of stuff and whatever happens is happens. So it's been a great tool for me. Well, that's actually uh, a perfect way to segue into do either of you have things you want to plug? What are you doing during this COVID time? I know you, uh, Tony, you're working, uh, you have the Arts Academy. Do you want to talk a little bit about that or sure. is there anything else? Yeah, sure. No, I, I opened with my business partner, I opened uh, Orbit Arts Academy in Atlanta and we opened with 15 students. We have now about 350 and um, we're just getting ready to build out a new um, studio space that will give us with our performance space will give us 24,000 square feet of space to work in. And um, yeah, I'm super proud of it. And again, being able to use my life experience and the life experience of my friends and bring down a lot of Broadway people to do master classes and work with them, you know, and, and uh, just get them to understand that uh, if you're in this for the romanticized glamour of it all, you know, you might want to think again, because it can be, yeah, it's, it can be. And the thing that sustains you are your, you know, your relationships with people and your commitment to your integrity and your work ethic. And, you know, that's the thing that needs to be your calling card. And so anyway, yeah, I'm super happy. These are great lessons to learn. I'm so glad you're working on, on orbit and you have that rolling. I, I've, I've done a lot of teaching myself over the years and I find that no matter if you're training, you know, kids to be excellent performers or if they're just there for fun, there's so much good that can come out of theater and music education and the, the, the friends you make, the lessons you learn, the identity that you discover is, is, so important. And I think every actor, no matter how old they are, remembers that one teacher oh, yeah. that, that changed their life and that, you know, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing without that teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Richard. Richard, uh, you want to plug your Instagram or anything? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, you can follow me on all uh, platforms at, at Richard H. Blake. No. Uh, yeah. I, that, yeah, this has been a, it's been an interesting year. It's been an interesting time. Um, but uh, I'm doing a, I'm working I'm doing a TV show right now, so uh, check out the second wave. Uh, it'll be on uh, streaming platforms. Um, I think it starts on Spectrum and then goes to CBS All Access and all that. But um, so that's been kind of cool. It's a, a fun sort of uh, TV show that is a whole new way of of working. We all film remotely, and wow. so. Yeah, everybody gets their own camera and kit and all the sort of dressings. And they, they have a truck that drops off like your props and things. And they've set dress your thing. But you literally do it like Zoom, like with the set dresser. And they'd be like, okay, put that there. Put that there. So you're like, you're like the grip, the the crew guy. The, wow. Like, the, and then and then they like, there's this camera rig that they set up like you. And they're like, okay, move it to the left, move it to the right. And it's just like all this computer equipment and um, so it's 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 really interesting what people, you know, have figured out how to make things work. You know, it's always you know necessity breeds invention. So, Absolutely. Um, and and so it's it's and it's a fun show called Second Wave with a ton of theater actors. It's uh, Audrey McDonald and Will Swenson and Stephen Pasquale and you know Rob McClure. It's got a ton of theater actors in it actually, which is fantastic. 
Um, and it's called the second wave. It's about the second wave of uh, COVID, which turns people into zombies. Yes, <laughs> oh, I love a zombie movie. So yeah, so it's a uh, you know I don't want to give anything away. I, I think I just did though. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. It was really fun talking to you, and I love I love hearing all about this stuff. Thank, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks yeah. for having us. Thanks for joining us for this wonderful episode of Flop of the Heap. Follow us on Instagram at Flop of the Heap or email us at show at flopoftheheappodcast.com to suggest our next flop. We are an independently produced podcast. Learn more about how you can support us at patreon.com slash flopoftheheappodcast.